You are listening to episode 50 of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. Guys, this is an interview I did with Meg Dahl a couple of months ago, and the audio is really super quiet. So as soon as the intro's over, you're going to want to turn up your speaker, whatever device you're listening to, turn up that speaker as loud as it goes. Um... I'm a one-woman show here, and I'm not exactly a tech whiz, so I do my own editing, and I couldn't figure this one out, but I didn't want to trash it because it was such a good conversation, and I really think you'll benefit from listening to me and Meg talk about our experience with eating disorders. So turn up the volume and enjoy. Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt functional nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey guys, it's Erin, and I'm here with a guest. Before I introduce her, I want to let you know quickly that I have opened up some spots in my Functional Nutrition private membership. So that's the way that I work with clients one-on-one. We dive into diet, functional lab testing, mindfulness, whatever you need to get yourself feeling good and get you the results that you're after. So head on over to my website, erinholthealth.com to schedule a free 30-minute inquiry call. That's the way to get things started where you can tell me about what the heck is going on with you and um, we can figure out some next steps for you, whether you're experiencing, I don't know, gut problems, low energy, brain fog, sluggishness, whatever. Um, we can determine whether the membership program could be a good fit for you. So without much further ado, I've got Meg Dahl here. Meg is a registered, registered holistic nutritionist through the Canadian School of Holistic Nutrition. She helps women live a life free of restriction, guilt, fear, and shame, which is really no easy feat in today's world. So Meg, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be here. Now, I was on your show, your podcast. So Meg has a uh, podcast as well and um, recently interviewed me. And we came to realize that we have a lot of overlap in our stories. For starters, we both struggled with eating disorders. And then we went on to study to become registered dietitians, but both decided to go in different directions with our careers, which I think is kind of funny. Um, so I didn't, I'm not really going to give people a super duper big bio about you. Why don't you tell us more about your backstory? Um, I know that your eating disorder started very, very young. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that and what led you to the professional path that you're currently on. Yeah, for sure. And I just have to say again, because I know we said this in the show that you were on with me on my podcast, but it's just so crazy how similar we are. So I'm just really excited to be here, Erin, and chatting with you today. But 
a little bit more about me. And yes, you're right. My first eating disorder began when I was super young. I was actually 10 years old when I was diagnosed with anorexia. Oh so my gosh. Yeah, things started obviously much before I was 10. But when I was actually diagnosed, I was 10 years old. And it was happening around the time where there was like a lot of changes in my life, right? Um, the other girls, my good friends around me, everyone was starting to get boobs. Our bodies are changing. And around this time, I was also a dancer. And I will never forget, but I was doing a year-end recital. And I had the worst stomach ache. I had a sandwich for lunch and I was nearly doubled over. And this was kind of like the first time that I really noticed that I was having a reaction to a food or a reaction after I ate a meal. So I was in so much pain and those stomach aches just kind of kept coming. It just seemed like a constant thing. So as a 10-year-old girl, I just naturally started eating less and less. And around the same time, the first family member to have cancer and pass away, that all happened as well. So my very first close family member died and I was learning how to deal with that as a girl who was 10 years old who had never had to deal with that before and with all of that going on I started eating less and less like I mentioned and slowly developed an eating disorder now a lot of people ask me kind of my thoughts on the whole situation now I'm 27 now and you know a lot of people are very curious what I think about that situation looking back on it now and just knowing what I do about eating disorders, and I would love to hear from you, Erin, just because we do have um, histories with eating disorders, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But to me, I started eating less and less, like I mentioned, because of stomach aches. And I really think that a malnourished mind really triggered um, eating disorder thoughts and this mental illness and then coupled with losing that very close family member it was almost like obviously a very wrong way of coping but I really do think that the main trigger for me was that malnourishment that I was experiencing so that happened when I was 10 years old and because I was so young I recovered from that eating disorder very quickly. I really didn't understand what I was doing. Like I said, it all began very innocently. I was having insane stomach aches, so I stopped eating as much as I was. It was almost like I developed a fear of food, and we know that with eating disorders, there is that fear component. So once I was diagnosed with anorexia, I started seeing psychologists, of course, because we did work on the mindset piece, because as I was so malnourished and really was wrapped up in an eating disorder after a period of time, I needed that psychological um, recovery component, right? So that was a part of it. But 
a lot of it just was my parents making me a plate of food and I just had to eat it like that was how I was told that I was going to get better and that's what happened I started eating more and more just like a normal girl again and this went throughout my entire grade five year and by the time I returned to school in grade six I was completely recovered and you know I looked like a healthy Meg again. I remember girls in my class when I got back, no one recognized me, but I was getting all these compliments about how great I looked and, you know, that I looked healthy again. And I really did feel super proud of myself, even at that young age. So looking back on that, I'm, I have good memories of, you know, recovery and coming back to school and being recovered. And there was many years that I didn't think about food at all again. Like food was just food. I just ate and went about my day, right? I had many days of just eating like a normal human being. You know, my mom coming to pick me up from school before I got my license and we go for ice cream and burgers and all that sort of thing. And then I relapsed once again in grade 10. And this was, again, a time in my life where I was experiencing a lot of um, low self-esteem, low self-confidence. I had very little self-confidence. I was dealing with a lot of, like, bullies at school and just being teased, feeling very uncomfortable in my body that was kind of changing more into a woman's body at the age, you know, of 15 I was in grade 10 and around this time again I also lost my grandpa to heart attacks and just heart failure so I was very close to my grandpa so that was a difficult death that I had to feel or that I had to deal with and amongst it all I was also turning to food as a way to cope And I know that both you and I are very, very into um, observing and understanding our past and really getting to know what we decided in certain moments. That's something that I love doing in my own life and supporting my clients with. And I know you're in the same camp as me there. And I remember when the death of my grandpa happened, I made a decision that I just didn't deserve to be happy and um, I didn't deserve to like eat basically. So not eating was my way of progressing and just prolonging my suffering from my grandpa's death. And that eating disorder that I experienced in grade 10, that one really stuck with me for a really long time. I was much older, obviously. I was 15 years old versus 10 years old. So I had so much more freedom and like ways to get away with things that I didn't um, have that opportunity when I was like 10 years old, fortunately. But yeah, when you're 15 years old, things are a lot different. So it did take me much longer to 
overcome that eating disorder. And then in university, even though I was um, recovered from anorexia, I definitely struggled with orthorexia. Now, orthorexia, when I was in university, so this would have been like about 2012, orthorexia wasn't really known. So I never like when people um, just like kind of self-diagnose them themselves with an eating disorder. Like we all know that eating disorders are very serious mental illnesses and they are and do require a official diagnosis. Um, but yeah, I was recovered from anorexia, but I ended up when I moved away to university, I ended up losing a lot of weight again because I was caught up in so many like orthorexic behaviors. And luckily <laughs> that only lasted about a year before I was standing over my food scale, weighing spinach for my salad, and I just like broke down into tears and realized that all I wanted in my life was to be happy and healthy. And every single thing that I was doing in my life was making me stressed out, miserable, and probably so far away from health. And that's the point in my life I remember it was February 2013 and I was hovering over that freaking food scale and I was using a food scale to control myself and restrict myself and yeah I was hovering over it and just decided that I could no longer live my life that way whoa all right so a lot there um I want to back up a bunch of steps and talk about what you what you were talking about with the um, stomach aches when you were little mm -hmm. and having a reaction to food. Now back then, it you know food sensitivities weren't as much on people's radar as they are now. Um, but I've never made that connection for myself that my um, my food sensitivities could have potentially played into my eating disorder due to malnourishment. So that is like a wicked aha moment for me because mm -hmm. I didn't, I mean, I had GI issues, stomach issues, like out of the womb. And I didn't learn that I had a gluten allergy until I was 25 years old. So it's a long time mm -hmm. to, um, to be eating a food that was, and as we know with specifically with gluten sensitivity and celiac disease, it affects the lining of your small intestine, which is where we absorb absolutely everything. So that's a major deal. So I think that's a little bit of a, um, a pearl, a takeaway for people listening. And one of the reasons that I am um, really adamant about keeping my daughter gluten-free, I get a lot of questions about that. She's four, she's been gluten-free her whole life, but I know that she has the genetic predisposition for, um, for gluten sensitivity. And I'm just like, why even screw around with that? Why? If I can prevent her from going, I'm not to say that she would necessarily, it would manifest as an eating disorder for her, but for any type of health issues, if I can, if I can help her with that, because I wish somebody had swooped in. I wish not to say my parents didn't do enough or anything like that, but they simply didn't have the knowledge base to swoop in and say, you know, what's going on here? Like we need to do, we need to look a little bit deeper and get some answers for this chick. So 
that's that's cool. Um, I mean, you know, not cool, but a cool understanding or something to put on people's radar anyway. Um, I love a lot of what one of your big, I would say, maybe even the ethos of your brand, a big thing that you talk about a lot is uh, mindset. Um, so I like how you're talking about eating disorders as as a mental disorder, as um, an issue in the mind. Because when we think of eating challenges, whether it's an, an actual eating disorder diagnosed or simply disordered eating, um, what we tend to do is put the emphasis on the food, right? I mean, even traditional um, eating disorder recovery clinics really put the emphasis on the food. Like, you know, you said when you were 10 years old, it was a matter of putting food in front of you and forcing you to eat, or not forcing you, but getting you to eat that food. And for so many of us, I think what we have to do is take the focus off of the food and start to shine a light on all the other areas of our life and put our focus in different places. When when people ask me about my eating disorder recovery, I mean, it was 12 years um, that I struggled with that. And I never once went to traditional eating disorder recovery because I knew A, it wouldn't work for me, and B, I didn't want to put more attention and more focus on the food. I had to put my attention everywhere else. Um, so I like how you're bringing that to the forefront um, because I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for myself, I never actually went to an um, like inpatient treatment center, but through both of my recoveries when I was 10 years old and when I was 15 years old, I had both components. I had that diet component. So I was either seeing a dietitian, like when I was recovering when I was 15 years old, I saw a dietitian for nearly three years. And she was just a huge support for me, obviously food wise, but also, I mean, come on, she was basically like a therapist to me as well. And she was definitely um, the person who inspired me to go to university and study dietetics myself. But even when I was 10 years old, I was seeing a psychologist too. And same thing when I was 15, I saw an amazing psychologist who actually has a world-renowned eating disorder clinic in Brandon, Manitoba, if any of your listeners are from Canada. Um, there are eating disorder patients who come to his houses. So he has two houses and girls actually live there until they are recovered. So I was in my last year of high school, so grade 12, and I'm quite stubborn. Like if there is a way that I personally want to do something, that's how I'm going to get it done, regardless of what anyone else says. So I wanted to recover from the eating disorder that I developed throughout high school. I was the one who came to my parents and confessed to them what I had been doing and let them know that I really needed help. And this was mid grade 11 when that all went down and immediately I started seeking like treatment recovery so I started seeing a dietitian and a psychologist and the psychiatrist actually wanted me hospitalized 
but like I said, I'm quite stubborn. And if there's a way that I'm going to get things done, I'm going to get it done in that way. So I did outpatient recovery and I saw this psychologist um, just like driving to three hours away every single week. But I think um, the psychological component to eating disorder recovery is absolutely crucial. You cannot just overcome an eating disorder by simply just eating. There's a huge psychological component to it. Now I'm thinking of um, any parents that are listening to the show who are worried about their daughters or sons in this capacity. Um, Would that be would that be a suggestion that you would give them? I mean, you you drew such a very clear link between your life stress and the hard things that you're going through in your life and um, the eating disorder behavior flaring up. So is that what you would say to parents? Just to be mindful of like their children's behaviors and actions around a stressful time in their life, absolutely. I definitely think that if you notice your child's eating less and less, sit down and have like a gentle, loving conversation with them instead of casting your assumptions on them. Just ask them what's going on. Plant that seed. They might not come out and tell you exactly what's happening right off the start. I know I didn't, but if my parents never tried time and time again to sit me down and ask me what was going on I would have never have come to them as soon as I did yeah um I think mine had taken such a strong foothold by the time anybody noticed what was going on that it was not to say it was too late but it was I was deep in the trenches Mm -hmm. and I think um for me it my um my eating disorder behavior was sort of written off as, well, Erin just is a healthy person. Erin just wants to be healthy, right? Because the pursuit of skinny is so widely accepted, even in children as young as 12 and 13, which is how old I was, that people were just like, you know, my family members even and, and peers were like, oh, Erin's just, just a healthy person. And it, it clearly was anything Um, but healthy. You know, it's funny that your experience was a positive one when you started to gain weight and you went back to school um, and people were saying, oh, Meg, you look so healthy and you look so good. Uh, My experience was the exact opposite. When I started to put on weight, it was over a summer and I came back to school, um, I got negative. I got negative feedback. People were calling me, oh, the girl that got fat. and so I, even though my, my family was telling me, oh, Erin, you look so healthy. That was the compliment they were trying to give me when I was gaining weight. You look so healthy. In my head, healthy meant fat. And so oh, yeah. every time somebody said healthy, I was like, oh, no, that, that's not a good thing. And, you know, when you were talking about these beliefs that we have and how these, these beliefs, whether they're conscious or not, um, dictate the way that we live our life. I, I start I always think back to that and I wonder if that whole um, link in my head like was a kind of foreshadowing for some of the the major health issues I had later on in life because if if in my head healthy was a bad thing I kind of rebelled against healthy and you know as we know our cells listen to every single thought that we have and I just wonder how much of that Im, you know impacted my my physiology later in life Oh yeah, that is such a great 
thing to like ponder and just point out here. And I had the same views on healthy. I mean, like I said, I came back to school in grade six and all of the girls in my class were giving me so much positive feedback and I felt really good. But throughout grade five, when I was actually going through the thick of recovery, and if any one of my family members told me that I looked healthy, I remember, you know, my grandma saying, oh, May, you look healthy, you're looking healthier. And I lost it. And I had to tell everyone in my family that they couldn't say that word to me but it was actually me who had to do the changing so one of the things that I learned from a social worker that I worked with and just something that I picked up on my own because I think once I went through eating disorder recovery two times and worked with two amazing psychologists and social workers, I picked up on a lot of tools that I was able to, you know, just kind of come up with on my own as I needed them throughout my life. And one of the things that I realized that I had to do was redefine what healthy or health actually meant to me. So like you said, Erin, whenever someone told me that I looked healthy, I all like all of a sudden just imagined myself big and plump and overweight and not how I wanted to look and I realized that I just had a very distorted vision and definition of what healthy actually was so once I realized that and gave myself some time to let go of what I was defining healthy as um, things started to change um, in a very positive way for me. Uh, that's that's a good little tidbit there because <laughs> it just keeps coming back to so much of it is this internal mental work that we have to do and how little of it actually has to do with our outward appearance and our in our bodies. Um, I think that anyone hearing this. Um, especially if they don't know my background, if they're not familiar with your background, would think that an eating disorder at 10 years old is so sad or even at 12 years old is so sad. And it's like, how did we get to this point in our society where young girls hate themselves so much or this becomes the coping mechanism? Um, I know that you talk a lot about diet culture. I talk a lot about diet culture. I always talk about how insidious it is because it, it's stealthy, man. It's, you know, it's it, it really permeates our belief systems, even if we're not aware of it. And it starts so stinking young. And then once it kind of locks in, it can run rampant for the rest of our lives. Like I said, it's like, it's almost the accepted norm. Like that's why my eating disorder went under the radar for so long, because everyone's like, well, she's just doing what everybody else is doing. I guess this is normal. Um, and so this is one of the reasons why I think that the work that you're doing is so important, because it starts to shine light onto the dark spots that people aren't talking about, right? I know for myself, my eating disorder was cloaked in so much shame. I did, I did not talk about any of that for a, such a long time. Um, but I think the more that people like yourself and myself can be open and talk about this on a public platform, the, the better it is because it's going to, um, you know, people be, are becoming more aware of how common it is. Um, 
I recently did a rant on Instagram and I, I was talking about whenever I call out diet culture, especially if I call out specific companies or specific products, my inbox always gets flooded or I start to get texts or emails with people saying like, I love what you're saying. They're cheering me on. They're like, rah, 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 keep it up. And I absolutely, I love that. I really do. It makes me feel so good that my message is resonating with people. It really gives me more grist for the mill because I know what I'm saying is landing with people. So just for anyone listening, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying don't reach out to me at all. But what I was also saying is that it's not going to be just my voice or just one voice that changes this insidious culture. It's going to be all of our voices combined. It's going to be a collective movement where we all speak out against what we see. That's how we move the needle. That's how we make change. It's encouraging people to use their voices to share. And it doesn't have to mean calling out other people for what they're doing. It's just simply saying, hey, here's how dieting has affected me, or here's how this mentality has been dangerous for me. Um, somebody very graciously messaged me and was like, hey, I, I don't feel comfortable standing up to people because I don't have the education that you do. I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't have the grounds to stand on to say that these diet products are rubbish. Uh, even though I think that, I don't have the science to back it up. That was her mentality. And I, I really, honestly, I totally get that. And I'll freely admit that my education gives me a little bit more cojones when it comes to <laughs> speaking out against specific companies. Um, but anyone, I want to be really clear here, anyone, anyone can still show up and talk about their experience. If you've been through the, the ringer with the diet industry or if you've experienced disordered eating, you get to talk about that. You don't need a degree to talk about that. You don't need education steeped in science to talk about that. That has no bearing on your experience. Your experience is very real and it's very valid and people need to hear about it. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, Meg. There was a recent Instagram post and um, it kind of went ar around. A, a ton of people sent it to me or tagged me in it. Um, it was a woman holding a baby and she was also holding a sign that says, Dear Online Coaches, my postpartum body is not your marketing opportunity. Did you see that? Whoa, no, I didn't. Oh, it was good. I'll have to send it to you after this. And then in the, you know, in the, um, not the comments, but her, her post, she went on to say that she had a ton of people reach out to her after she gave birth with messages saying like, hey girl, I can help you get your body backed. And she talked about, she has a public platform and she talked about how that made her feel. We all get to call BS on this stuff. I think... So many of us are afraid to do it because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? As women, we're really trained to keep the peace, to not ruffle feathers, to kind of just go along with the status quo. So a lot of people feel uncomfortable, um, like saying like, you know, that's an inappropriate thing to say to me. People don't feel, always feel very confident saying that. But what, what diet peddlers are doing they're crushing our morale. They're hurting our feelings. And yet we just roll over and let it happen time and time again. And I'm saying a hard no to that. Marketing to women who just had babies and talking about getting their body back, that's crookery. And if you're listening and you've done this before, please stop. You're not a part of the solution. You are part of the problem. 
So please stop. It is not fair. We have to collectively come together and say this is not okay. Um, a friend of mine recently reached out to me and told me she was at a party where a bunch of women were sitting around talking about this one specific company, this one diet that they were all doing. And she spoke up and she said, I don't do that. I don't fall in line with that because it's really unhealthy for me. I tried it and it really messed me up. Now her saying that she's not making fun of anyone else. She's not shaming anyone else. She's not telling anyone else that their experience isn't valid. She's not saying you're, you know, she's not passing judgment on anybody. She's simply showing up and saying, this didn't work for me and here's why. And I just think that is a very brave action because when you're sitting in a circle of women, it's so easy to be self-deprecating. It's so easy to slip into groupthink. There's always that, that feeling of safety in sameness, right? But to go out of your way and say, I actually disagree because we're all different and what you're talking about is actually not right for me. It's not right for my body. It's not right for my mind. And these are the type of conversations that I'm really trying so much to encourage people to have, especially if this stuff fires you up. I have a lot of angry women coming to me who are really pissed off at the way we talk about food and the way we talk about our bodies. But telling me about your anger, it's not going to change anything because I'm right there with you. We have to be more publicly vocal about our experiences and our anger and, and put that out there where other people can see it. Because when you call it out, you actually give other people permission to do the same thing. Or at the very least, you plant a seed, right? You start this ripple effect because other women start to say, oh, wait a second, not everybody buys into this. I don't have to buy into this. So it becomes this like, this catharsis for everybody else that's listening to you. So Meg, I would love to hear your thoughts around all of this because you've built an entire business on calling out diet culture BS. But I will say that the way you do it is way sweeter and much less antagonistic than I am. I think, I mean, I think it's so easy for people to see me and be like, well, she's like a psycho or like, she's like a dragon. She like wears Tim's and listens to rap music and doesn't care about anybody. It's easy for her to say these things, which is not true. But, um, but you're this like sweet, gentle lamb. I mean, you call everyone babe and your like office walls are baby pink. <laughs> you know, you're like the sweetest thing ever, but you're saying the same thing that I'm saying. So I'd love for you to talk to us about where you found your voice and where do you get your strength to start speaking out against this group think, this omnipresent mentality? Oh my gosh, what a great question. But I just have to say that even though you and I kind of um, put our messages out into the world in a different way, even though we are putting out the same message essentially, I absolutely love following you and love hearing your rants and kind of, you know, voicing your opinion on diet culture and what's not okay. We all have our own ways of doing it. And I absolutely love how you are doing it for sure. But how I came to be so vocal about my story and just kind of where I stand in all of this was, again, it really goes back to my history with eating disorders. And when I was going through the whole eating disorder and recovery, I would constantly 
ask and question my parents, why is this happening to me? And they kept reminding me that I was probably going to help other people someday. You know, they assured me that everything that I was going through at that point in time in my life was preparing me for my future and the ways that I was going to help others someday. So when I started university, I was actually living over 30 hours away from my parents. I'm an only child and that was the farthest away I had ever been from my mom and dad who are like my best friends. So it was a big move for me and I started a blog right away. I was super, um, I was actually super like kind of weird and nerdy. I was um, living on res and making a bunch of meals in the microwave. (laughs) And I made these epic meals like sushi and all this stuff. And all of my friends started requesting that I start a blog and start blogging about my food. So I figured, okay, I'll start a food blog, but also... I chat with my parents on the phone every night and our chats are like three minutes because I forget what I did that day and then I end up telling them nothing useful. So I thought, sure, I'll start this blog, blog about food, share some recipes, but also it will just act like a little bit of a journal for me so my parents know what I'm up to because I thought it was like kind of pretty cool what I was doing out in London, Ontario, you know, places that my family back home had never been. So I started this blog and I, this was honestly back when blogging, you know, the Monday through Sunday blogging was actually popular and people actually commented on blog posts and things like that. So I was blogging seven days a week and I just formed this community of people that were also dealing with unhealthy relationships with food. So as I mentioned, I was recovered from anorexia, but I definitely still had a lot of food rules, disordered eating tendencies, and these were kind of my years of orthorexia, I would say. And I just started sharing a lot. Um, I have a constant stream of like thoughts and all of that sort of stuff running through my mind 24-7 and I just basically used my blog as a journal for people to read and I shared a lot of my tips for recovery there and I was able to create a really solid community of other women that needed that information and that's really how um, like it all began for me. And once I studied and graduated from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, I was obviously done with eating disorders and disordered eating behavior. And I was able to kind of take a little bit of a pivot and start helping women professionally with their eating disorders and disordered eating. And just one other thing that I want to touch on that really resonated with me, what you said, is when we talk about things, we inspire others 
to do the same. So maybe by you going on a rant, Aaron, it might trigger something within me to start saying something that was on my heart, but I just didn't know how to put into words. And that's what I think is a really important thing to note in the conversation that we are having today is that if there is something on your heart, if there is something that is bothering you, if you have a story that involves diet culture, or if you have a story of you suffering from eating disorders, disordered eating, or even like a negative body image, speak up about this stuff. Because like you said, that is the only way that we are going to be able to make a change ever. Yeah, it's like this ripple effect i have to share this story it's so weird i think i've only told like three people because it's just like one of those weird things but um last well it was i think it was last winter um i got bronchitis i was wicked sick so i had to go to the doctor on a saturday and it, so i didn't see my normal doctor it was this man that i've never seen in the walk-in and he started talking to me about food and i was like what is even happening right now um a doctor talking about food like crazy and i explained that i was a a nutritionist and i'm like you're preaching to the choir homeboy and he was so great and he's like i just he looked me right in the eye and i was like having a really down time with my with my business kind of like what am i doing does anything i do matter does anyone really care about what i'm saying like one of those you know like (laughs) moments oh yeah and he looked me right in the eye doesn't had never met me didn't know really the, the scope of my work and he's like i just want you to know what you're doing matters and he's like i know it doesn't feel like much but what you're doing is creating a ripple effect and the tsunami is coming Oh my God, I always get like choked up when I think about it because it was like so crazy what he said. And then a couple weeks later, I went to this like weird spiritual thing that I never told anybody about because it was so weird. It was like the weirdest thing ever. And as I was driving home, I was kind of like, all right, that was the like the craziest experience of my life. Send me a message if it's like legit. And uh, a car drove by with a trailer and on the trailer was a boat and the license plate on the boat set was said Ripple. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, (laughs) my gosh. (laughs) And I always get goosebumps when I think about it. But that is like my mantra when I like when I start to second guess myself or when I'm like, am I saying too much? Am I like being too much or does this matter? I'm like, it's opening my mouth creates a ripple effect. Good, better, you know, good, bad or indifferent. Um, And so you basically just encapsulated that in a a very nice way. and one thing that you had what that you that kind of stuck out to me that you said is the the like the recovery so even though you recovered from anorexia it still took a long time for you to truly get over the food fears and the food rules and the orthorexia and that's something that i want to be really public like open about too is that you know i recovered from bulimia a long time ago I don't know how many years but quite a few years but it took me a very long time to recover from diet culture and I'm still doing that I'm still unlearning and deprogramming from all the messages that get hit over my head every single day it is an ongoing process so I think sometimes when when people hear women like you and I talk about this stuff they might think well it's like we're on the other side of it but that's you know I don't know. I don't I don't see it that way. I see it as like a continual practice for me anyway. 
Oh, yeah. And I'm actually so happy you brought this up because just this morning I had a conversation with someone just through commenting on my post on Instagram. I had a conversation with a woman about the whole thing that you just said is that it's an ongoing process. So my post this morning was about oatmeal. I just reintroduced oatmeal back into my diet after five years of not eating a single grain of oat. And I posted this and I kind of went on a little bit of a rant myself and brought up the fact that I'm no better than any other human for the fact that I haven't ate oats in five years. Like me going oat free or grain free for five years does that not make me any better or less than of a person. I'm also no less of a person for eating oats now after going without them for five years. And there is also nothing wrong with me for wanting oats after not having them for five years. Because I think um, when people get cravings, like when women want a certain food and they don't typically eat that food, they think something is wrong with them so to speak so I shared all of my thoughts about this little bowl of oatmeal in my Instagram post today and someone commented and said something like hey I just added oats back into my diet after being super low carb for a really long time and I just commented back to her and I said I'm so proud of you and said a big food freedom in like caps locks and she commented back and was like you know what Meg I don't really think I would fully consider myself food freedom yet but I need just needed to comment back to her and let her know that she's doing what she needs to be doing and she is experiencing food freedom but it is an ongoing journey and like you said Erin you and I are still working with that every single day it's it's always happening even if we aren't dealing with eating disorders or disordered eating like even if that stuff isn't mucking up our life anymore and like preventing us from living the lives that we want to live we're constantly doing things to achieve an even even greater sense of freedom every single day yeah, you and I are living in the same world that everybody else is in. We're being inundated with the same messages. We're soaking in the same exact stew as everybody else. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's something that I, I, I have to think about every single day. To your point, does it overtake my life? Does it overshadow every other aspect of my life? Absolutely not. I am done with that. But it is something that, you know, I still come up against. Um, you know, the, the, the thing you just said about something is wrong with me, that belief system that we have, um, I want to talk about that because we're really taught that cravings and hunger is something to be feared. Really, any, any type of female desire, quite frankly, is something to be feared. So when we do feel <laughs> cravings, when we do feel hunger, we, we automatically think this is wrong, this is bad, this is not to be trusted, something's wrong with me. We never blame the food system or the diet, we always blame ourselves. And now oats is a very specific food, right? 
but like we could extrapolate. So some people might be like, ah, whatever. I eat oatmeal every day. What's the big deal? But we could extrapolate that to, you know, a big food um, category like carbs, right? That's Mm -hmm. a big thing right now where women think they should be, every woman should be low carb or ketogenic. And so when they crave carbs, they're like, oh no, this is bad. Or, or intermittent fasting. Everybody and their mom is asking me about intermittent fasting right now. And Mm -hmm. they're doing it because they think they should be doing it. And then, you know, some people are waking up in the middle of the night starving. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, of course you are because you're, you're fasting. You're not eating. Like Mm -hmm. just because you read a blog or like your coworkers are doing something does not need, mean you need to do that. So how do you help people get in touch with like what is right for me and kind of quiet down the noise around them and when it comes to food? Yeah, something I really love talking about, especially right now, it's a conversation that I'm having a lot lately and I've done a few podcast episodes on this myself, but really getting clear on your needs and being aware that people or the messages that you hear about the benefits of low carb or the benefits of intermittent fasting, who are those messages being directed to? And then getting really clear on where you're coming from in your health journey. So I'll just give an example. I work with 100% females. So I always work with women and the majority of the women that come to me are dealing with some hormonal imbalances. I deal with a lot of clients with amenorrhea and they all come to me eating very little food, too little food, intermittent fasting, um, kind of playing with the keto diet and obviously very low carb if they're experimenting with keto and you just like wonder why this happens but you look at all the messages coming at these girls and it's not for their population and I've even dealt with this in my own life so to kind of Um, give another example I guess is we hear a lot about carbs and how you should only eat carbs around a workout well what if you're someone that doesn't really work out I went through a period of my life where I really couldn't work out all that much due to health stuff I had a parasite so that left me with zero energy at all and when you constantly hear that like, oh yeah, okay, active people need carbohydrates. And if that is the message that you're holding on to, you might reduce your carbohydrate intake. Granted, I had to reduce my carbohydrate intake because when I did have a parasite, I literally could not tolerate any starchy carbs. It was a terrible time in my life. But anyways, this is the mentality that I see in a lot of my clients. If they're not physically active, if they're not working out, they feel like, okay, I don't need those carbohydrates. But it's like, okay, yes, athletes are a certain type of population that generally do need carbohydrates, but there are 
other populations such as women with hormonal imbalances like amenorrhea who also need carbohydrates or though anyone who's dealing with APA or HPA access dysregulation that is another population that could benefit from not being super low carb and so it's just being really clear on what your health picture looks like and then those messages that you know like all the shoulds all the things that you should be doing and should be eating and should you know the way you should be doing everything where are those shoulds coming from and do those shoulds actually apply to you and your health state dude that is so bang on and we never pause to think hey what do i actually need what's right for me i mean Mm -hmm. even just the carbohydrate discussion alone so listeners know that I have a four week carb program and that is the quite like that is the whole thesis of the entire program is that carbohydrate intake is so contextual. It's mm-hmm. so contextual based on what's going on with you. And it sounds like you and I have similar, um, similar client population. I have a lot of people with irregular periods, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, um, uh, HPA axis dysregulation, adrenal fatigue, all that good stuff. And most of the women that are coming to me are in under eating or have a history of under eating. And for them to like pick up an article and read about the benefits of intermittent fasting, like, yeah, that's true. But does that apply to you and to what your body needs? Mm-hmm. Um, I talk a lot or I speak out a lot about isogenics. It's a, it's just, you know, another like dieting MLM that is, right. it just happens to be really popular in my area. So a lot of people ask me about it and w- they do a fasting, like one fasting day a week. Like you don't eat any food for an entire day. And so what their, their whole thing, the whole thing that they tout is like, well, we have all of this, this um, research to back up the merits of fasting. First of all, all the research that they show is funded by the company itself, which is a problem as we know. But yeah, no shit. There is, there's tons of research to support intermittent fasting. I think it could be wildly helpful for so many conditions. When you're looking at the general population, you know, who are eating the standard American diet, at least here, right, with metabolic syndrome and cardiovascular disease and all of these other issues, yeah, sure, right? Maybe that's great. Maybe that's great for some people, but it's not great for all the people. And so um, I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. I'm going to go back and re-listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was actually thinking about your CARB program. And the first time I ever saw you posting about this, I was like, thank you, Erin. People need this so badly. And in all of the shoulds, I like what you said too about like where of those shoulds coming from because we have a lot of shoulds that are put on us and if they start to overlap, this is where we get it, get into a lot of trouble because if we should be eating low carb and we should be fasting, uh-oh, and we should be vegan and we should be on a plant-based diet and we should be limiting our protein, it's like what is left to eat, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. should be avoiding lectins. We should be avoiding low, low FODMAPs. We should, you know, it's like there's okay. no food that that's left anymore. So, um, starting to examine, I mean, again, it comes back to taking the focus off of the plate, taking the focus off of the food and going back into like, what's going on inside, what's going on internally inside the body, but also inside the mind. Mm -hmm. All right, Meg, I have one more question for you. Um, 
And this is one that I like the, the one that I really, really wanted to ask you the most because uh, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and maybe even yours are listen to it and they're ready, right? They're ready for the message. They're ready to be done with the dieting madness. But I think that some people listen and and maybe they're not quite there yet. They're like, I wish I could do that, but I'm not ready. Um, I think there's so much fear around giving up dieting, especially if it's something that has felt safe to you for a really long time. And there's a lot of fear around giving our bodies what it needs. I think some of it is a little cultural, right? Like I'm selfish if I, if I take care of myself. But I also think if we call out what so many of us are afraid to say aloud, out loud, like I'm afraid to give my body what it's asking for because I'm afraid of gaining weight, right? If we just get right down to brass tacks and admit that a lot of our self-worth is tied up in how we look. How do you start to unpack that? How do you speak to that fear? How much of that fear do you think is tied into body image? And if, if somebody's listening and they're right at the cusp, they're like, I want to be there. I just don't know how to get there. What advice would you, would you give to them? Oh my gosh, this is such a great question and a loaded question. I could go on and on and know, on I'm about like, this. For we sure. have like five minutes left. Sorry. No, no, no worries. But I will kind of just give a basic yet um, loving answer. And I hope this can help some listeners. But if you do have any type of fear from going from where you are, right now in diet culture to a place where you imagine you will feel more free if there is a fear blocking you from getting from point a to point b where you deserve to be really start getting clear like what that fear is and i mean we are all going to have different types of fears but it's really really important that you understand what your blockage is what that fear is for you and once you get curious about that and start understanding that you can kind of realize that it's probably not something you actually believe it's just been a fear that you're holding on to for such a long time so I had to do this within my own life and start seeing the fears and the beliefs that I was holding on to and simply just bringing light to those fears and beliefs uh, made like a huge difference for me. Like not even doing anything above and beyond that, but just bringing light to, okay, what is this fear? What am I believing about this? And just bringing light to that in itself helped me so much. And then if you want to take it one step further, another thing that I do with a lot of my clients is if it is a fear that is holding them back, there is no way you can let go of a fear by holding on to a fear. Like if you are just holding on to that fear, you're, you are going to be holding on to it for ever it just doesn't go away unfortunately I just kind of like picturing it like this ball that you're holding it doesn't just like dissolve on you someday you have to kind of like pop that fear 
I once used that analogy with one of my clients, like to kind of close your eyes and envision your fears as a bunch of balloons. And it's like, okay, which fear am I going to pop today? If it's a fear of eating some carbs at breakfast, for an example, like so many women have this fear, let's pop that fear. And the only way you can actually like take that little needle and pop that balloon fear is by doing the action. It's like, you know, when um, I'm super afraid of heights and my husband always makes me like <laughs> challenge my fear by like, when we go hiking by like climbing these like really precarious, um, in my eyes anyway, like handholds and footholds and but that's like you get this this sense of, oh, my God, I can do this. And it's like you feel invincible when you do just like bust on through, bust on through the fear. And just do it anyway. Like it's going to be scary. It's going to be really hard. Do it anyway. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you have to move through it. You have to move through it. Okay. So I know that you just recorded. So your podcast, Meg, is called the Unbreakable You podcast. And you just recorded at least one episode on specifically talking about body image stuff, right? Maybe two episodes. Yeah. I did one specifically on under eating, actually two. So it was like a two part series on under eating. So if you want to overcome fears about eating more and maybe you want to challenge those beliefs that you have that make you think that eating more equals weight gain I talk a lot about that in the part two of that eating more series or under eating series and then just on November 14th I released an entire episode all about body image as well All right. So you guys go check that out, especially if a lot of what we're saying is resonating with you and you're looking to take some next steps, go check that out. But one, one little juicy gem that I want to give, give out, um, especially as it pertains to fear of weight gain, not that it's all about weight at all, but I can't tell you how many female clients I've had where I, where they were struggling with weight loss and couldn't take weight off. And I got them eating more and they lost weight. I know it seems very counterintuitive, but many of us are locked into starvation diets because that's what we've been told to do. So um, I just want to echo what Meg said there. Um, All right, Meg, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you just tell everybody where they can find you um, moving forward? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And I just want to note that the podcast you and I did together is out November 21st so all of your listeners should head over to my podcast the Unbreakable You podcast to listen to you and I because that was such a great episode and then if people want to connect with me on Instagram I am Meg the RHN on Instagram and my website is also Meg the RHN and I always am posting recipes and like how to posts and things like that so definitely head over there yeah I'll be sure to link to all that in the the show notes you recently just posted just today I think posted how to properly prepare oats and you also have a really good squash guide we're both squash fanatics so (laughs) that's a good one to go check out yes and I am always adding as I find more winter squash Um, all right, Meg, thank you so much for being on the show. It was, this was a really great discussion. I know people will get a lot from it and, um, I will talk to you soon. 
Thank you so much, Erin. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. Thank you.